Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish. It is me, Jim Hill, and you're listening to a Lentester free edition of this podcast, which is being posted on Monday, August 19, 2019, by the way. And why is it Lent here, you ask? Well, unlike most Americans who in the waning days of summer think, I should go someplace cool to escape the heat, like the Jersey Shore or maybe the Catskills. But Mr. Testa, he likes to do things a little differently than the rest of us. He tries to escape the heat by going someplace hot, like Palm Springs, California, which, which just yesterday, no lie, folks, it was 117 degrees at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Ouch. Just to put this in perspective, uh, on Wednesday, August 14th, the high temperature in Orlando was just 88 degrees. Okay, the humidity was 74%, whereas the humidity in Palm Springs was just 9%. So I get the whole, it's a dry heat thing. It's just me personally, I don't enjoy going outside and becoming a 250-pound piece of beef jerky. So, you know, Palm Springs, not an option to me. So anyway, provided that Mr. Tessa doesn't spontaneously burst into flames over the course of this week, uh, he'll be back in time to record our very next Disney dish. In the meantime, I have a very special guest host with us today. It's Dan Zare. Uh He's the gentleman behind the incredible popular Coffee with Kenobi podcast. Uh, Mr. Z and I also do a show together here on Jim Hill Media, looking at Lucasfilm, where we talk about all things Star Wars and Indiana Jones related. Yeah, let, this is good, man. Let's do this. I I love the Disney dish, so it's kind of surreal to hear myself on this show. I love it. Well, cool. And I'm also cool. glad that um, Len hasn't spontaneously burst into flames. Hopefully, well, he's got you know that, that we don't officially have reports on that yet. Or, you know, That's true. It could be happening as we speak. Yes. So, um, I uh, by the way, Dan, I was thinking of you earlier today. I got a catalog in the mail from the nice folks at Van Eaton Gallery. Um, they're about to host a, an exhibition and auction uh, that will celebrate the art of Walt Disney Studios in Disneyland. And 20 pages of this 270-page catalog uh, is dedicated to Star Wars-related items. Wow. Including lots and lots of Revenge of the Jedi stuff. There are posters, Ooh. there are campaign books, and... Uh, can can you explain about the revenge thing? Uh, oh, I, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, when George originally was wrapping up Empire and getting ready to think about uh, the next movie, Episode Six, the original title was Revenge of the Jedi, and there was a number of marketing things created. You mentioned the posters. I think there were some T-shirts out there. There's definitely a lot of crew stuff. And then as he got closer and closer... Uh, it was brought to his attention, I believe, and he sort of thought about it and reflected, and wait a minute, Jedi don't get revenge. That would kind of uh, be a problem for the end of this film where Luke throws away his lightsaber when he's in the throne room with Palpatine and Darth Vader. So he said, let's call it Return of the Jedi. So that caused a lot of panic and changes and scrambling with the marketing people, but that created an incredibly valuable piece of memorabilia, which you're just talking about. Yeah, in fact, I still remember I had a friend who was managing the Littleton Cinema in Littleton, Massachusetts, and was visiting with him one afternoon, and there in his lobby, he had the revenge poster, and I was like, oh, right, hang on. Evidently, the call had just come down to take that poster down, because they changed the name of the film, and he took it down and tore it up in front of me. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So, well, again, who knew? 
All right. Um, Isn't that against the Geneva Convention to do something like that? I what well, oh, today? Boy. You know, we're talking nineteen what eighty? Yeah. It was my anachronistic joke. There we go. Okay. Um, before we we move on from the the auction catalog here, I did want to share that one item here is a collection of Star Tours grand opening items, and let's see, we have a packet of four black and white press. Uh, we have a, a, what's fascinating about this, they have a Star Rides Star Speeder Paper Flight Sickness Bag. And <laughs> what's kind of interesting about that is that's the first name of the attraction, Star Rides. Um, you I, know, I that, didn't know that. Yeah, that uh, Michael Eisner at one point, you know, that the Star Rides, that's what it is. And it's like, um, <laughs> Mr. Eisner, we want to go another way with this. But yeah, that there's all you know this packet of stuff from the I guess it was the Imagineering open house. But yeah, definitely worth uh, chasing down. In fact, uh, if you're out in California, folks, the auction begins on August 31st. But uh, the exhibition, which is being held out on Ventura Boulevard in Sherman Oaks, California, uh, is running. I want to say through the sixth of this month, or uh, right down to. The auction itself if you want uh times and dates when you can go take a look at some of these amazing items uh head to the vegalleries.com anyway all right so yes we are are, are doing a lend free show today but uh, you know to fill that out uh dan is going to share one of his lesser known sides and and all right so we were talking about this prior to doing the show you were a member of the walt disney world college program Oh, what That's exactly right. was that? That was, I did that in the spring of 1995, the summer of 96, and the summer of 97. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It so, was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Okay. So, holy cow. So, you were there for for all of the the Toy Story craziness when... I was. I have some good, I have some good stories about that. Some I'm not sure if I can share on the air, but they're really entertaining. Okay, well, folks, we're going to save that <laughs> for the second half of the show. Uh, but for now, let's give a quick shout-out to some of our very nice subscribers at DisneyDishBandCamp.com. By the way, Dan and I are recording this on Thursday night, August 15th. And 20 years ago today, Dan, the Wonder, the second ship in the Disney Cruise Line fleet, began its maiden voyage. There's a lot of people who have very fond memories of this 960-foot-long vessel, but what's not generally known about the Disney Wanderer is the main reason that this 83,000-ton uh, cruise ship can reach speeds of 23.5 knots is because Coleman P., Christopher P., and S. Banders are rowing on the port side, while longtime subscribers uh, Daniel K., Ethan K., and Short Pixie are rowing on the starboard side. So I, I do hope those people get a chance, once they reach port, to climb out of the bowels Take a of the break. Ship. Yeah. yeah, you know. Well, well thank goodness for them or they wouldn't get as fast as they do. Well, uh, you know, I also hope that they occasionally let them swap sides because otherwise they'll end up with like, you know, ridiculously big forearms on one side. Like Popeye. There we go. Okay. <laughs> uh, now the news. Uh, okay. Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish. For a worry-free travel experience every time, Book online with storybookdestinations.com. Okay, Dan, we are recording this on Thursday night, August 15th, 2019. And 
this makes me a little crazy, but tomorrow, the very first Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party is Isn't being that insane? held. Isn't that crazy? It it well again, you know. Is this the earliest it's ever been? Uh, well, you know, that's an interesting question. And in fact, I, I the reason I bring this up with you is that you started teaching again. What was it? This week or last week? On Monday this week, yeah. Monday of this week. So the twelfth. I, you know, and again, I'm I I was a kid raised in New England, and you know that that. You know, we didn't go back to school till after Labor Day. In fact, it, you know, it was a very real, weird ritual of my childhood whereby, you know, the day we, before we went back to school, we'd watch the Jerry Lewis uh, Labor Day telethon, you know, and oh, it's sure. just, you know, he'd sing that Rodgers and Hammerstein song, the, the, you know, you'll never walk alone. And then you had to walk to school the next day. It just, you know, alone. Uh, it was very strange. Um <laughs> But, you know, the, the, the thing with Mickey's Not So Scary is uh, tickets for this went on sale January 15th of this year. And and you're right. You're right. I, you know, that it's they're doing it for, for 36 nights this year. And that is, in fact, two more than they did last year. Oh, boy. And, and I have to ask, have you ever done this? Have you ever done the Halloween uh, event? I have. I did it back, let me guess. I think I did it in around 2000, 2001. So it's been a while. I don't even think Drew Taylor was born then. Okay, yeah. But it, yeah. it was uh, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. I remember that was the only time, of course, that I'd been in the parks and seen everyone dressed up, just cast, not cast members, but guests, mm-hmm. and the candy they were handing out and just seeing it was, it was great to be on main street with all of the christmas overlay but to see the halloween stuff and the spiders and the cobwebs and the projections down main street was just gorgeous it was just a fun atmosphere the parade and seeing at that time when the Pooh came out in a ghost costume and i just thought this is so charming how could you not smile and love this mm-hmm. well i i will tell you as somebody who was there for the very first one of these which was presented on October 31st, 1995, this thing has changed significantly. You know, back then, Disney, they had launched uh, Mickey's not, excuse me, Mickey's Very Merry, December of 1983. Again, same thing. Uh, Was only a one-night event, but, you know, gradually increased out to two nights in 89 and then three nights in 1990. So... You know, it, it just it was one of these things where, well, that seems to be something that's working, and let's try a Halloween event. Um, but, you know, I was living down in Orlando at the time. In fact, Alice was just, God, 18 months old at the time. And so, you know, my then wife, Michelle, and I went to the park. We bought the, you know, hard tickets for the event, which, you know, oh my God, $16.95, Dan. You know, just, oh, you know, virtually breaking the bank but we brought alice into the park because it was the first one it was really kind of sparsely attended and uh, but, but we're there in the park with alice's emil younger stroller I, I don't know if you're you're familiar with these things they're you're about the size of a small foreign car i not only am i familiar with them but i had to do a lot of of juggling with them when I worked at the on the college program. <laughs> we, yes, we, we were the people you hated because again, the, the, this, this giant <laughs> stroller. Uh, but but again, huge. you know, Michelle wanted the safest possible stroller, you know, for Alice, and this was the Volvo equivalent of a stroller. 
Um, anyway, so we're wandering through the park, and you know, again, they had oh god, candy stations set up everywhere, and we'd roll up with Alice, and Alice was really one of the only itty bitties there that night, and you know, the cast members would coo at her and hand us lots of extra candy because she, we had the cute baby with us, and. We went home with the Emily Yoga filled, roughly 1,500 pounds of candy. Um, I actually date my diabetes back to this night, uh, you know, just from, you know. That's what, this was the, uh, when, it, when it started to burgeon. There we go. There we go. When I, I think back on, you know, I got my 1695 worth of, you know, entertainment. Well, hell, you know, when I went home with two and $300 worth of candy, yes, you know, I, I more than got my money back. But when you look at the pricing for you know this year's event i mean the tickets actually start if you were if you're somebody who who wants to go early ticket for an adult it you know to, and, and disney's eyes an adult is 10 or older is 79 dollars uh kids ticket uh, for age of three and nine is 74 dollars and but the interesting thing is that's for tuesday nights in august if you want to go on a friday night in august it's going to be $80 for your three and uh, three to nine-year-old and 85 for anybody over 10. Now, these things, they do they pretty much always sell out? Uh, I mean, I assume they, I mean, I know they're very popular. I, and, now, I want to say that, that of course, uh, Halloween, the actual October 31st, and the dates immediately around that do sell out. But now, now again, you are paying a premium price then. Natural right. Night of Halloween. This is on top of your theme park ad, ad, uh, admission too, right? Or is it just well, that? Well, this is the thing. This is you, you have a ticket to this hard ticket event. Now, mind you, they do allow you to check in for the event. Uh, I want to say starting at like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. But, you know, on the actual night of Halloween, it's $130 for your, your 3 to 9-year-old and 135 for 10 and up. Now, let's be fair here. This does have some pretty spectacular entertainment. Uh, and every year, they try to step up their game. Most recently, we've had the Hocus Pocus Spectacular that's presented in front of the, the castle uh, several times a night. And this year, they're debuting a brand new custom Halloween fireworks show. It's, oh, Disney's Not So Scary Spectacular which uh, is going to be hosted by Jack Skellington himself. They have, I'm not going to say it's an animatronic figure, but they have sort of a, a, a puppeteer version of Jack. You can actually go online to see uh, this puppet in action. And it's, it's a pretty tall figure. We're, we're, we're talking, you know, seven or eight feet tall at least. It's pretty spectacular in its own right, honestly. I, I, it's, it's, uh, I, it's amazing. In, I agree entirely, but... What's kind of interesting is this has become so popular uh, that the West Coast is now getting its sort of own take on Mickey's Not So Scary. They're, they're out there as part of Halloween time at the Disneyland Resort. They're getting the Oogie Boogie Bash, which uh, I swear to God, Dan, this is the actual title. The Disney Halloween Party at Disney's California Adventure Park, which kind of to me sounds like the redundancy you know the, the department of redundancy department <laughs> um but out there instead of 36 nights in florida they're getting 20 nights and it starts on september 17th as a, a star wars guys you you will like this they one of the reasons the party is over at california adventure would you know was the assumption that well crowds are going to be so big for galaxy's edge that you know sure. we should have this over at the other park and 
uh, you know, to make sure that people felt like they, they were really getting, you know, uh, their value here. There's a lot of special after-hours enter- entertainment. There's a brand-new Lagoon show called Villainous, uh, where it's it sort of takes the World of Color show that's done at this theme park, uh, projected oh, sure. out on the water, the coordinated fountains, and that sort of thing. And this one is now, you know, celebrating the vil- the little villain that we all have in, in each of us. And uh, introducing a brand new character that's being animated by uh, master animator Eric Goldberg. And let's see, we also have... Uh, some trick-or-treat trails uh, where you get to hang out with characters like the Mad Hatter from Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland uh, and Oogie Boogie himself. Uh, kind of interesting, the Redwood Challenge trail there uh, for this event is being turned into the Villain's Grove, which is an interactive, villains-inspired, dreamlike environment. And they they released that concept art for that, didn't they? Today? They did. They did. It was it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. It it's also a lot of chemical fog, but it's gorgeous. You know, and and we of course have in Florida they have the Boo to You parade. Out here at California Adventure they have the frightfully fun parade. Um, kind of interesting that you know they they were just on the heels of Descendants three. Uh, having been shown on the Disney Channel and breaking all sorts of ratings uh, records. And uh, they're going to be bringing those characters to California Adventures part of this Halloween uh, event in <laughs> as part of the Descend Dance, and that's D-A-N-C-E party. Uh, I love a good pun. Yeah, I love a good pun too. But um, I, again, not inexpensive. Tickets for this, if you're going to go starting on September 17th, uh, they're $100 for annual pass holders, $110 for day guests. On the other hand, if you're, you're going on a Sunday in October or the last three days of, of October, it's $145 a person, Dan. Wow. And to put that in perspective, right now at Disneyland, a one-day, one-park ticket, and you have to buy this by September 8th, for peak time, is running $149. So, hmm. you know, I, this is, you really are There's paying. more, you're taking a lot, but if you are a Halloween fan and you love the theme parks, I mean, you're going to be sp- sending or spending a lot of money anywhere. You should certainly save your money before you do something like that. But it is quite a, a treat. I don't know how many people do it every single year. And, I, and I'm curious what the response is to this versus Halloween Horror Nights. Of course, one is family-centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus a much older crowd, but it would be interesting to know. I'm sure Len knows that. Now, it's so interesting you bring this up, because if we pivot now to Hong Kong Disneyland, which had, does its own Halloween time, and, and they view themselves as, you know, they're in Hong Kong, uh, you know, a more sophisticated audience, and they felt that, you know, in order to get people to come out to the park during Halloween, they really had to step up their game, and so... Uh, for a number of years, they did mazes that were, uh, you know, and, and we're talking about doing horror-themed mazes right off of uh, Main Street, USA. Uh, you know, for example, what is it? Uh, 2017, they had the Maze of Madness, the Nightmare Experiment Continues. And uh, I, I swear to God, Dan, this is the description of what the attraction was inside of a Disney theme park. It, it was an immersive walkthrough experience where a mad professor takes guests on a journey into the dark side of Disney stories. 
On their adventure, guests will get to meet some of the scariest locations of the world of Disney, including the Mad Hatter's Hat Shop from Alice in Wonderland, Stromboli's Wagon from Pinocchio, and the Scare Floor from Monsters, Inc. And uh, there were also, uh, what is it, uh, Frightful Rooms based on Beauty and the Beast and Hercules uh, were also folded into this thing. But uh, they, you, you can, again, if you Google a Halloween time at Hong Kong Disneyland, some of the concept art here... There's there's a Pinocchio in this thing that'll haunt your dreams, Dan. It's just sort of like I have no doubt, you know. Uh, but but more intriguing, uh, starting in 2017, uh, you know, the, what they decided to do was go in a more whimsical route, and they they created a walkthrough journey to Halloween Town uh, attraction. In fact, this was located in the Adventureland section of the park. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you literally they recreated the sets from the Tim Burton stop motion film and put live actors and animatronics in this space to and you, you move through five different environments. And they did kind of a Reader's Digest version of, you know, that film's story. Um, uh, but again, they felt like they could get away with that in, in Hong Kong because, frankly, they didn't have you know, 60 some odd years of Disney history and that, you know, the whole notion is, well, you can't do a universal style maze, uh, you know, at Disneyland in Anaheim. I mean, it's just not done. We're in Hong Kong, you know, frankly, you know, this park only existed since September of 2005. So it's like, yeah, we can do whatever we want. This is a new thing. And it's, it's, you know, it's not that rigid at this point. We can be pretty fluid with what we do with the characters and all that. They they just seem to never run out of ideas, but I I really am excited to see how people respond to this. So online, the fervor is exciting, and I do like, by the way, here's a little known fact. Mm-hmm. You said it's called the Oogie Boogie Bash, right? Right. That you said, and is isn't there is there any truth to the rumor that that was the original title for Drew Taylor's debut disco album, or is that <laughs> unconfirmed? Oh. You are going to get me in so much trouble here. No, Drew and I are going to have this unofficial contest on our shows with you. Who can do drop the most Easter eggs about the other person? Well, there so we go. There we yeah. go. Um, <laughs> uh, by the way, we, we've been talking about the cost of tickets so much with this show, and I thought, uh, to be fair here, we should mention something that Disney has just rolled out. And have you heard about these, the Midday Magic tickets? I saw that today, and I'm really glad you were bringing it up, because I want to see what you think about this. Well, I, I, first of all, let, let, let's explain to the audience what this is about. That, that So it's a, a brand new form of admission to the Florida parks. And okay, let me read from the description here. So it's valid for admission after 12 p.m., and the gimmick is there, it's a one-park ticket. But the idea is it's it's for that guest who wants to sleep in, you know, wants to get a leisurely breakfast and then head out to the park, you know, not somebody who's there for the rope drop. And it's got, a, you know, a pretty compelling price point. If you, for example, if you decide that you're going to, you know, this is how you're going to do your entire Disney World vacation and you can get these tickets for $79 a day. I mean, now mind you, you're buying the four-day ticket for that. So, so that would be... $313 total plus tax, but these are the prices for ages 10 and up, and there are some restrictions. Uh, let's see, two-day ticket expires four days after the selected start date. Uh, likewise, three-day ticket expires five days after, 
and the four day you know expires seven days after the start date but I have to admit, I, I'm intrigued by Disney doing something like this, but especially given the last couple of years has been all about, you know, go to the value time of year, or go during the peak time of year. And, you know, the fact that they're, they're willing to try to do something like this. I, I love this. And in fact, if you are guaranteed the to have later I don't know if they will have extra magic hours you mm-hmm. mean I guess that would you still wouldn't be a part of that if you weren't staying at a resort mm-hmm. but if there's some, some sort of a guarantee where when these were available the park was open later is that kind of what they're thinking or is it just any day well you I just you just kind of do it's kind of a, a buyer beware sort of a thing well let's be honest here you know again we've we started this segment talking about the 36 days that he's not so scary is being presented at the magic kingdom and you know that basically means that they're chasing the day guests out you know at seven yeah. because that's when the park you know is, is handed over to the folks who bought this hard ticket uh in regard to these midday magic tickets uh they are available for use uh on or before december 15th so uh, it's going to be interesting on the other side of this when Disney sort of eyeballs, uh, you know, how this went. Because face it, we're heading into food and wine, uh, sure. you know, and you know, and, and at the same time again, you know, starting on August 29th, we have a certain you know land that's set in a place that's far, far away. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, are going to be very, very popular, or one hopes in Florida. Yet, and, and if you look at it, it really is kind of brilliant in that you create this subset of guests who won't be going into the parks till 12. And, right. you know, by that time, most of the, you know, the guests that were there for rope drop will be heavily dispersed into other parts of the park. So, you know, you'll get that second surge on Main Street or on Hollywood Boulevard, which means, you know, more business at the, you know, the Starbucks or the Main Street Bakery. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, it, it's brilliant. It, it really is. is. It, it is is very ingenious, you know, in its own right. And, and of course, you know, if you know, think about it, if you're a person who's on a budget and who likes to sleep late, like, say, a college student, this is the <laughs> ideal ticket. And, and speaking of college... When Dan and I get back from this commercial break, we're going to talk about his days in the Disney College program. And we're back. Okay, so at the top of the show, you mentioned uh, that you went to three different, uh, you took part in three different uh, versions or iterations? I did, yeah. Three different versions of the college program. I I kept uh, uh, re-enlisting, as Mm -hmm. it were. I couldn't get enough of it. Holy cow. Okay, well, well, to give folks a little background before we get started here, the, the Disney College program actually began back in 1981. And when they, Disney first tried this out, only 200 students, or a little more than 200, from 20 schools were recruited to take part in this program. And it, at that time, it was only at the Magic Kingdom. In fact, um, the college program back then was was literally known as the Magic Kingdom College Program. But then, of course, October of 1982, Epcot opens up, and you know they need that many more bodies to operate that park, and so program participants uh, were allowed to not only work at the Magic Kingdom, but they could also work at Epcot. And at this point, the initial set of 200 students was so successful. 
They now go with 500 students, but it's broken up into three different uh, time periods. There's a spring semester, summer semester, and a fall session. And, you know, I guess early on, you know, when the, the people were taking part in the program, they put them up in a mobile home park out in Kissimmee that... That's right. ...was called the Snow White Village Campground. When um, I worked there, people talked about that with a lot of uh, smirking and also fondness at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, we the Vista Way Apartments don't enter the scene till 1987. And these... Because folks had to take a bus back and forth from the Snow White Village campground. Uh, but they still had to take a village from Vista Way, right? Or, or the, uh, It's about a good 15, 20-minute bus ride. Okay, okay. Depending on how I-4 is. Mm-hmm. And let's see. And it, each year, the program kept growing and growing. As of 2005, 8,000 students total were taking part in the program. And by that point, we had... Four different housing programs. We had Vista Way, Chatham Circus, uh, Square, excuse me, uh, Patterson Court, and the Commons. Um, mm-hmm. Well, why don't we, we start there, Dan? Uh, did, did did you, where did you stay during, during your time of the program? Right. My first, my first experience in the college program was, in fact, at Vista Way. Apartment 1401, I remember perfectly. 1401. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Good. It was it was it was it was great. The, the best way to describe the Disney World College program to people is it's a college social setting without academic pressure. Mm-hmm. So they can create lots of fun. Uh, you don't go into it to make money because you don't make a ton of money. But the experiences that you get and being able to put Disney World on your resume, especially when you're a, a young a young person coming out of college, uh, really gets people talking. I mean, I, uh, what, do you want me to kind of start with how it all began, or what, what do you think? Can you talk a little about the training? I mean, uh, you did sure. traditions, right? Oh, of course. Yep. T- traditions is, of course, two days that all brand new cast members get to be a part of. And when you sign up for this, the way it works, by the way, for people who aren't sure or people who are listening to this now thinking, wow, I'd like to do this. Well, let me tell you right now, you absolutely should do it. The way it works is they go to different college campuses all around the country and all around the world and they make presentations and the way I found out about it was that I had a friend who one semester suddenly just wasn't coming to school and I said where's Teresa why isn't she here did she did she drop out did she change majors what's going on and they said no she's working for Disney and I said what do you mean working for Disney they said well no she's a part of the Walt Disney World college program and I and so I couldn't stop thinking about it she came back. She told me all about it. I was absolutely hooked. I got the flyer, found out when it was going to be, and you go, and there are a number of cast members who show up, and they make a sales pitch. They show some video. They talk to you about the fact that the college program has three different aspects of it, at least it did in the mid-'90s. It was the living experience, the learning experience, and the working experience. And when you agreed to do this, if you got hired, you the living experience was you were going to choose to have either three roommates or five roommates and so the reason that you would pick the five was that your room was a lot cheaper but some i think my first time i only had three roommates because i thought that would be a little bit uh easier to manage at least for the first time living on my own Mm -hmm. and when disney pays you through the college program 
they automatically withdraw your utilities and the bus transportation that gets you to and from all the theme parks and it takes you to the Publix grocery store and one took you to the Florida mall. So you had that transportation covered. So any money that you made was basically for for spending or for food because, of course, you get into the theme parks for free, right? So that's the living experience. The working experience is with the time I did it, once a week you had to go to a three-hour Disney business seminar. And you, it was like kind of like a, a graduate class, although not as rigorous as a graduate class. There weren't papers per se, but there were projects. There were different things you had to do. They took us backstage, of course, in the tunnels of the Magic Kingdom. We went backstage at Epcot. Through They have kind of a small little tunnel area that's a little bit different in design, but we got to go there. Mm-hmm. And then they would take you around to different resorts. You had kind of scavenger hunts. And the entire purpose of all of it was so that you could be more educated when you spoke with guests, you know, uh, when you were out on stage, actually on in on your location when you were working. And then... So then you've got the then you've got of course the work experience and you were guaranteed when I was there you were guaranteed thirty hours a week mm-hmm. and often because you were a college student there were many opportunities to work a little bit longer because the full timers would work during the day and they would usually give the sh- the other shifts to college program people that would come in at night because I guess you know when you were working full time you probably would rather work during the day and the college students didn't matter everybody would get their pleasure island annual passes and that's where everybody would go on Thursday evenings and it really was I've always uh, attributed I've always been not always but growing up I was a pretty shy reserved kid mm-hmm. uh, certainly quiet a little bit insecure to be honest and then working at Disney something about working there I'll never forget actually getting on that airplane and putting on my seatbelt and looking around and all of the the fear and anxiety just l- lifted off my shoulders and I thought I'm going to work at Disney World. It's something I wanted to do since I was a kid. It completely brought me out of my shell, and I attribute the fact that I am a, a teacher and have a successful podcast is because working at Disney built up those muscles and helped to show me uh, how much fun it is to really unabashedly be yourself and just enjoy your life and, and make sure that people are having a great time, not only on their vacation, but just in general. It's I really cannot speak highly enough about it. Now, let's talk about art. So you, you did, you know, three different sessions in, in the college program. You didn't work the same job, you know, all three sessions, right? No, no. And, and I, I know you mentioned traditions, too. I, we will get back to that. But mm-hmm. the first time I worked at, at MGM Studios, because mm-hmm. that's what it was called back in my day, mm-hmm. and I worked at Mickey's of Hollywood, the huge gift shop up there at the front of the park, which mm-hmm. is sort of their answer to the Emporium. Uh, once in a while, they would have they would send you to different locations to cover for something. And in fact, I think I talked on a previous looking at Lucasfilm about one two days. I got to work at Star Tours, which I thought was, or actually at Endor Vendor when when Endor Vendor was there. Mm-hmm. That was probably about the most fun I ever had working at Disney because I was involved with Star Wars. How ironic, mm-hmm. where life would take me, you know, many years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second tour, I worked also at. MGM Studios, but I worked in the back of the studio store, and that was where they were selling or hoping to sell Toy Story merchandise when mm-hmm. it ever came in. Uh, I work at that Little Mermaid gift shop and things like that. And then the last time I did it in the summer of '97, I worked at the ESPN Club at the Boardwalk Resort, and I also worked at Thimbles and Threads, the main gift shop for the Boardwalk too. Wow. Okay. All right. So Boardwalk didn't really open till what the summer of '96. So you were in there. 
you know, you know, one of the members of the frontier, so to speak, you know, the, a pioneer. Right. Yeah, that's right. They, we, I was one of, the, one of the opening people for it, and they, I got all kinds of like exclusive brand, you know, opening watches, day watches, and patches, and all the swag that they gave out the cast members for opening up that resort. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, it was great. Now, now to double back to the studio. Now, now face it again. You know, this is, as much as it is, you know, going to Walt Disney World and, you know, or, you know living at Vista Way and, you know, having roommates and this. And this is still a job, though. And, and you are, you know, oh, yeah. you, you know, in fact, in order to succeed at Disney, you have to develop a pretty strong work ethic, you know, almost right off the bat, right? Oh, yeah. It's not a question of, well, you know, your shift starts at 10 and... You, you know, you wander in 11. It's like, no, that they need you there. And, you know, in fact, not only need you there, but need you in, in, co- uh, by the way, was this during the period where you could take your costume home or did you actually have to go in and pick up? No, this was before that. This is when they would launder everything for you. And you had, when you left, you had what was called walk time and you got to leave 20 minutes before you were actually off your shift. And that meant you were supposed to walk with everybody to the locker rooms and change your clothes. And then you would take your cast member uniform mm-hmm. and turn it in and they would wash them for you. Then the next day you just show up and say, hey, I, I work at this location and these are my sizes. And they just give them to you. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was That doesn't happen anymore as a grown-up, but it sure was pretty great then. Well, all right. So let's talk about, you know, that, and I, I got it. I almost feel bad for you that your first sort of introduction to the, the working at Disney was in being in in uh, Mickey's of Hollywood. Because, face it, you mentioned the comparison of that this is sort of the emporium of Disney MGM. Because, let's face it, at the end of the night, that place was body to body and just crazy. It was. And Honestly, that was my favorite part. Was it I, really? I like, I mean, I'm heck, I teach high school seniors for a living. I like crazy. I like, <laughs> I like excitement. I like a lot of different personalities and things going on. And it was absolutely magic. And that was when they had the Aladdin parade, mm-hmm. you know, and so that Prince Ali song you'd hear a million times a day. And, and when you would go home and it would be quiet, mm-hmm. you would still hear the parade in your brain because you hear it all day. Huh. But when everybody was there, the end of the night, they're kind of tired and you are too, but there's just sort of a, a unity in that. Mm-hmm. And then when all the guests would leave, then everybody, they still kept all the lights and the music on at Hollywood Studio or MGM Studios. And when you were leaving to go back backstage to get to the locker room to change into your regular clothes, all the lights and music were on. And it was just, and it was very, very peaceful and serene. And I'd tell you what, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Besides teaching, it's, it's the best job I ever had. Wow. Okay. I would if they would if they um if they had full time openings, I probably would have stayed there after in ninety seven. Mm-hmm. But uh, teaching had another plan for me. Well, you know, and and that seemed to have worked out okay. Um, yeah. Did did you have was there any particular night or day that really stuck out for you during your time at, at Mickey's of Hollywood or? Uh, well, there were there were the the one of the best things about working at Mickey's of Hollywood that first year in '95 was that was when they were filming uh, WCW wrestling, and that was just around. They were filming it in the front of that parking lot, mm-hmm. and so every uh, I think it was Monday, yeah, it was Mondays. Every Monday was it was wrestler days, and I would be I would go into the Disney cast member cafeteria, 
and I would have my one lunch tray with my my turkey meal, and behind me would be Booker T or Macho Man Randy Savage or Lex Luger or Sting, and they would have trays the same size trays as me but with four four meals where i would eat my one and oh. i just thought wow anyway i'm telling you it was it was culturally fascinating to see how they would interact and they were so incredibly gracious every single one of them mm-hmm. and i got to go backstage a couple of times i had to bring money up to cash handling at the end of the night and i would be backstage and i would see the wrestlers coming through the curtains you know fighting and then about 10 seconds later after the curtains would close They'd go up, they'd hug, they'd go over to a monitor, and they would watch their matches and critique each other. I became fascinated by it. And then one day, Jim, Mm -hmm. I was going back up there, and this massive limousine pulls up, the door Mm -hmm. opens, and Hulk Hogan walks out. And and he is the biggest, besides Shaq, he Mm -hmm. is the biggest man I've ever seen in my life. And you would have thought Elvis came, came back to town, man. He was... He was quite a personality. Then, uh, you know, uh, Joan Collins was there one day. Uh, I was there when they were filming for Rock and Roller Coaster. Mm-hmm. And I, it was during the day. It was probably about 10 or 11 o'clock in the afternoon, right before lunch. And someone taps me on the shoulder and they say, hey, do you know where the Mickey Mouse patches are? I turn around. It was Joe Perry, Aerosmith's lead guitarist. And I, my jaw dropped, but you're supposed to be very calm when you're working mm-hmm. and when you're waiting on celebrities. Yep. And so I said, oh, sure, it's over here. And he said, thanks. He had a stroller mm-hmm. and a little kid, and he was with his wife and some other his other kids. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that was Joe Perry. And I just showed him where uh, Mickey Mouse patch was. And then uh, the famous film critic, Gene Siskel, before his passing, mm-hmm. I sold him a Mickey Mouse watch. Oh. So that was kind of cool, too. Okay. Now, was that at uh, Mickey's Hollywood, or were you back then at the the shop by the Voyage of the Little Mermaid? No, that these were all up at Mickey's of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And that day when I waited on Joe Perry, apparently Steven Tyler uh, went just went over to Tower of Terror, and he rode that thing for like an hour straight. <laughs> and they just didn't. He didn't get off the car, and then he would just. He would lead people in cheers and singing when they were about to go down the drops, and everyone had nothing but the most excited oh. expressions on their face. It was pretty magic. They, yeah. they really knew how to have a good time. Okay. Now, uh, let's contrast this. Because, again, you, when you're you know, you're know in Mickey's of Hollywood, you're in kind of the white-hot center. Everybody coming in and out of that park you know, passes that store. Now, if we shift you back to the, the other retail location by... Uh, the Voyage of Little Mermaid. This is different. Sure. This is a, a different traffic pattern. And yes. now, mind you, this is also back during the, the the days of when they were doing the tram tour. So you did get bodies back there. But what was it like mm-hmm. to be in a, a smaller shop dealing? Well, you you mentioned earlier about the whole notion of, you know, we'd sell Toy Story stuff when we had Toy Story stuff. Right. There there was there was that character breakfast back there mm-hmm. they had they had a cart that no one ever wanted to work at because it was so incredibly hot and they just had a little fan there for you mm-hmm. um but basically it would go in waves mickey's you could pretty much tell what time of day it was just by how many people were in the shop mm-hmm. but for this it would be whenever there was a dump for mm-hmm. you know the the studio tour or, or that back then they had uh i think yeah hunchback with notre dame mm-hmm. it just opened so they had a, a making of video there and they I don't remember. No, the dump for that Broadway style show was more over by where uh, Galaxy's Edge is now. Mm-hmm. But there was it was definitely much much more quiet. We got asked about Toy Story stuff all the time, and of course, mm. 
as people know, or maybe they don't know, but that was so incredibly popular and they, they, they really underestimated the merchandising value and phenomenon that was that first film. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, they they're just other little, they would bring back Mickey plushes or different things like that. Uh, definitely much more quiet, but uh, no less entertaining. Mm-hmm. So were you doing the same thing, taking the the three-hour-long Disney classes each week? or uh... Uh, No, the second and third times, they didn't have any... You didn't have to do that aspect. It was just the working and the living with people kind of thing. And Although I really liked the classes. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot about, you know, basically Disney and their philosophy. You mentioned traditions. Traditions, and I know you've been a part of traditions as well, is is just it's just i mean it's a two-day master class in the history of walt and the creation of these theme parks the things you learn the enthusiasm uh there was a there was quite a a a bit of time where i thought it'd be great to be someone to teach those traditions classes that would be super fun but yeah that's it's uh Mm -hmm. the way they prepare you to work in those theme parks and the way you get you pumped up and excited i'll never forget the first time they took us into the Magic Kingdom, we walked through the tunnels, which of course was brand new experience to me, which isn't as glamorous as people always think they are, but still, still, no, still no, fun no. to be down there just to say you did it. There's a reason they called them the Utilidors, because literally, you know, the, you know that all of the paint and the color that's upstairs. Yes, that's, and you um, could, you if you didn't pay it, if you were colorblind, you'd get lost down there, because it, it it all looks oh, the God, same. Yeah, because yeah, they color yeah. code based on the land you're mm-hmm. in. But they took us out, and all of a sudden, this door opens. Instead of being this dingy little stairwell, uh, I look up and there is Cinderella, and she's around all these kids, and there's the fountain behind the castle. I thought, wow, we we're really here. So what? Well, you was asked something else. I forget. I, I I are you thinking, boy? Why'd I have this guy on? He is rambling about the college. Well, no, no, no. I just. Oh man, it's great fun. No, 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 no. I I guess. If we can jump now to your time in 97. Okay, yes. so you've, you've done two rounds inside the parks, but now here you are. You're out at Boardwalk, a brand new resort. And again, you know, the, 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 interesting to go from the Mickey's of Hollywood busy, busy, crazy shop to uh, the shop by the Little Mermaid, you know, which is, again, you know, pulses of people, you know, as theater stump, that sort of thing. But now an entirely different animal resort that's away from from the park, but at the same time has its own uh, sort of cycle of life. You know, that, in fact, it, it's kind of ironic. A lot of these places, you know, are dead during the day, but right. come to life once the parks close at night. Oh, yeah. And you definitely because there's so many different kinds of things to do at the boardwalk. It's a very different atmosphere, naturally, whether it's in Thimbles and Threads versus going into the boardwalk. My primary role there was at the ESPN Club, and that was when they sold all of the... Of course, they sold a ton of merchandise, but they sold a lot of athletic like autographs. Like They had a Michael Jordan jersey that I certainly coveted for a long time. And every night, after everyone would leave, because my shift was 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. Oh. And let me tell you, even in my early 20s, that was not easy. Mm-hmm. So then, cause then you'd basically sleep the next day. It would have been great if they had the... Uh, the midday par- theme park ticket then because I would have just been waking up. <laughs> but they what they would do at the ESPN Club for us is they had the those huge line of the, the Daytona video games where mm-hmm. you go race and you sit down in that cabinet. And it would be the, the merchandise people against the wait staff. And we'd have these massive contests till 3 in the morning. Boy, was that fun. 
that was a good time. But it was there was a lot of energy there. The food was great. I thought I would it accomplished something when they told me the code for all the TVs in the ESPN club so I could put on whatever I wanted. That was actually when the Bulls were in their heyday too and I was working, I'm a massive Bulls fan. I was working when the Bulls won their fifth championship and I tell you what, even now when there's an All-Star game or a Super Bowl or a massive game, that is the place to go to watch stuff. And and again, this this was when Disney was quite serious about uh, the ESPN zones, the ESPN clubs. There were, you know, the, the couple of uh, standalone restaurants that were done out in the world. Uh, you know that this was a franchise the company was really getting behind at that time. And well, well I guess it's kind of ironic because think about it. Just in this past week, we've seen the NBA experience open on the west side of Disney Springs. So. Here's Disney once again circling back on on sports. Only in this case, it isn't Disney necessarily doing it. It's you know a third party coming in and doing the NBA experience. But, yes, I know that's and, and is it cost to get into that thing too? Yeah, it's uh, thirty four dollars a person, and you know the the weird thing is just down the street from that is Splitsville, which uh, you mm-hmm. know uh, open. Uh, 2011 2012 i'm trying to remember that sounds right but that did hand over fist business because of course once pleasure island closed you know there were so many people who were looking for activities to do in the island and you know the combination of you know you could go bowling and you know they had a a strong menu you know just it, it was a hit right out of the gate the nba experience you know the notion that you have to pay 34 dollars to get it just to get in the door there you know and let's not forget that with the west side of disney springs still is kind of in relaunch mode in fact bongos will be closing shortly to be reimagined as a uh, in fact a beatrix i believe uh, and we're still waiting on Disney to officially announce the the new Disney themed Cirque du Soleil show to go in. So it's it's kind of it's a tough neighborhood to get something going right now. What with all of the changes and the fact that you know it's sort of a smile with a bunch of teeth missing at this point. And you know, do they I, know what that next show is going to be for Cirque du Soleil? You know, the, the the it's funny you bring that up, Dan, because the, the Cirque folks were so nice to me. They let me. Uh, during the waning days of the show, I actually got to chase a stage manager through an entire performance, uh, and we went everywhere in that theater. And you know that, but over the course of that night, they were talking about, yeah, we're we're already workshopping the Disney themed show. And remember, that's almost two and three years ago now, right? And you know, I guess the problem of doing a Disney themed show now when you're talking about Cirque is Disney isn't Disney anymore. Disney's Pixar, Disney's Lucasfilm, Disney's, you know, 20th Century Fox and Marvel, you know, and, and so it, it's kind of hard to boil that down to a 70 minute show that, that features, you know, fantastic athletes and, you know, dancers and stunning set pieces and all that. So uh, last I heard, they're they're on their their third or fourth iteration, trying to find something that the Cirque people like, that the Disney people like. And meanwhile, that that theater sits empty. And you know that was you know, face it. There's a lot of people who, as they were walking down to uh, the Cirque theater, would sample the the restaurants along the way, or would visit the shops, or stop to get a drink. 
Uh, and so you have a lot of stores and, and restaurants in that side of Disney Springs that aren't doing the business they used to because there's no strong, compelling reason to, to make people, you know, wander that far down the west side. So, Oh, I know. And that used to be the act that used to be the heart and soul up down there. That used to be the hop in place, especially yeah. if you were yeah. a little bit older. And it was it was great. It's still beautiful down there. No, it is. They, it yeah, is. there's there's a lot of opportunity that I hope that they uh, do something with. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Now, now to circle back to the the college program. Now, any final thoughts here? I mean, obviously, again, you, you know, it, as you mentioned, you, you feel like taking part in the program gave you the confidence to to become a teacher, to, to, to put yourself out in the world, you know, that sort of interaction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you just pointed out in your three different sessions, being in the college program, you ended up in three very different places. And, you know, some some folks might not be as lucky as you are. You know, face it, there are people who end up, you know, in the college program and end up at the churro cart for for their entire time there, which, you know, right. you just mentioned the whole notion of nobody wanted to work at the cart. It was standing in the sun. You know, it's, it's, it's just right. like Lynn in Palm Springs, you know. Um, <laughs> so. I, I think I smell him sizzling right now. There we go. The... The no the uh when you before you do it though mm-hmm. at least the time I did it you can say this is what I want to work do you want to work merchandise do you want to work custodial mm-hmm. do you want to work foods do you want to work attractions and I sign up for merchandise um and that because I worked the cash register and then I did a lot of stock mm-hmm. stuff too and stuff like that but I mean really it just depends and people always said you know you should really do custodial if you want the most guest interaction and and that seemed to be the case as well. Food was a big one for people because that was where they needed the most people. Mm-hmm. But now I'm sure merchandise is probably pretty comparable with that as well. Okay. But you really, you really, if you just go in with an open mind and realize I get to work for Disney World, I get to go into theme parks for free. My family can come down and visit me, and I can help them out. It it really is. If you're even remotely interested, it really is a, an absolutely uh, dreamlike experience. I can tell you honestly, every time it was over, I just did not want it to end. Hmm. Well, I, I, it's, it's harder to, to come up with a, a, a stronger recommendation for the program than that. So why don't we leave that there? All right, Dan. You know, the, well, thank you so much for, for sharing your memories of, of Walt Disney World College Program. And likewise, filling in for Mr. Testa while he's out there roasting in the desert. Um, if, if people have enjoyed listening to you tonight, where else can they find you online? Well, first, thank you. I mean, the Disney Dish, you're talking about one of the premier podcasts, not only for Disney, but out there. So it's my great honor to be a part of it. Thank you so much for letting me share the mic. You can find me each and every week on the Star Wars fan podcast, Coffee with Kenobi. We are a Star Wars show that makes you think about Star Wars in a whole new way and you laugh in the process, we certainly hope. And we're all over social media. We have a Patreon page where you can listen to CWK Pro, which is our exclusive podcast not heard anywhere else where we look at Star Wars, behind the scenes of this show, and uh, all the kinds of other popular culture things, Marvel, theme parks, comic books, TV, anything, you name it. Some sports shows up on occasion. It is there. And I also write uh, on occasion for a website called StarWars.com, which you may have heard of, as well as on IGN. And, of course, I do a podcast, a bi-weekly podcast, with the wonderful Jim Hill called Looking at Lucasfilm. Yeah, and now switching to my side of it, in addition to 
the show that, that Mr. Zare and I do. Uh, let's see. Well, again, we when when Len isn't wandering around Palm Springs, he's here doing Disney Dish. Uh, we also have, and we we talked numerous times on the show about Mr. Drew Taylor, and he and I do the fine tuning show together. But let's not forget about the Universal Joint, which I do with Dustin Fuse, the marvelous Disney podcast. Uh, which I uh, co-hosted by Aaron Adams, a gentleman who edits a lot of the shows here at Jim Hill Media. And we just finally got a new I Want That out the door with Shelley Valladolid. In fact, we just did a little talking about the uh, merch for the Haunted Mansion's 50th anniversary and likewise all the stuff that's not on the shelves in Galaxy's Edge in Anaheim. See, they don't have folks with your work ethic out there, Dan. There's nobody loading the shelves, you know, like you did in 95, 96. So. <laughs> I'm happy to take one for the team and head out there over the summer. Well, there you go. There you go. All right, folks. Well, if you like what you heard here tonight or you know and or if you head over and check out our coffee with kenobi and really enjoy that if you could do dan and i a favor and head over to itunes or rate and recommend our shows that that helps you know make more people aware i love by the way if you really 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 like what you heard here tonight uh if you head over to Bandcamp and subscribe that helps keep the lights on and i guess that's it for tonight so Thank you again, Dan, for, for making the time, especially, you know, with the, the start of the school year. This is, you're, you're just getting your teacher pants back on at this point, and here we have you, <laughs> you know, you know, coming as a guest host. But thanks so much for coming on, and yeah, we'll, we'll be together shortly doing our new look at Lucasum. That correct, or? That is correct. I look forward to it, Dan. Thank you again so very much. This was uh, an absolute blast.